The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Bob Stewart. (laughs) Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I ask my right honourable friend whether he will ensure that the full panoply of government powers is used to investigate the predatory activities of the late Mr Jimmy Savile? Well, I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. The allegations and what seems to have happened are completely appalling and I think are shocking the entire country. And these allegations do leave many institutions, perhaps particularly the BBC, with serious questions to answer. I think above all the question, how did he get away with this for so long? Now, the most important thing is that the police investigation is properly resourced and is allowed to continue. I don't rule out further steps, but we do now have independent investigations by the BBC independent investigations into the NHS and today I can confirm um, that the Director of Public Prosecutions has confirmed that his principal legal advisor will again review the papers from the time when a case was put to the CPS for prosecution and the Director of Public Prosecutions specifically is going to consider what more can be done to alert relevant authorities where there are concerns but a prosecution is not taken forward. Government will do everything it can do, other institutions must do what they can do to make sure we learn the lesson of this and it can never happen again. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister told this House, and I quote, we will be legislating so that energy companies have to give the lowest tariff to their customers. Can he now explain, including to his Energy Secretary, how he's, how he's going to guarantee everybody in the country the lowest tariff? As I said last week, we're going to use the energy bill to ensure that customers get the lowest tariffs. That's what we want to do. Now, I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, there is a real problem here, and it is worth looking at. There are, last year, there were over 400 tariffs. This is completely baffling for customers, and while encouraging people to switch can help make a difference, we need to go further, we need to use the law, because I'm in no doubt we're on the side of people who work hard, want to pay their bills, and who want a better deal. Mr Speaker, the only people who were baffled last week were all of his ministers who didn't about the announcement he's made. Now, last week, it was a guarantee, a guilt-edged guarantee from the Prime Minister. And, of course, now we've read the small print and it has totally unravelled. Another dodgy offer from this Prime Minister. Why can't he just for once admit the truth? He doesn't do the detail, he made up the policy and he got caught out. We are going to use the energy bill to ensure people get the lowest tariff. The Deputy Prime Minister said exactly the same thing. He wants to look at the detail. Let me ask him about this detail. Yes, we have his entire, we have his entire energy policy laid out for us tonight. Perhaps he can tell us. Now he says he wants to scrap off Gem. In government, he kept off Gem. Now he says he wants to pool energy supplies. In government, they scrapped pooling energy supplies. Now he says he wants to refer the big six to the Competition Commission. Then he said he wouldn't do it because it would be wrong. I'm all in favour of switching, but this is ridiculous. 
talk about my record as energy secretary because because I want to I, I want to thank him for the Conservative Party briefing document issued last Thursday after the chaos of PMQs. It revealed something very interesting, Mr. Speaker. While I was the energy secretary, the average dual fuel bill fell by 110 pounds. Under him, it's risen by 200 pounds. So I'll compare my record to his any day. Now, now, let's go on. Let's go on. Look, the part-time chancellor of giving advice again, and I'm actually, I'm actually coming on to one of his favourite subjects, the West Coast Mainline, uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker. Now, the, the former railway secretary, the railways minister, now the Northern Ireland secretary, told us in August about the franchise process. We've tested it very robustly. And the former secretary of state, now the secretary of state for international development, she doesn't really want the job, but she's down the bench over there. She said the process is incredibly robust. Yet we learned today that concerns about flaws in the process were raised by the bidders as long ago as May 2011. Can the Prime Minister tell us whether any minister knew about the bidders' concerns? Well, first of all, he said he wants to talk about his record as Energy Secretary, so I think we should spend a little bit of time on that. Because the fact is, under Labour, gas bills doubled and electricity bills were up more than 50%. When he was Energy Secretary, when he became Energy Secretary, the companies were making £25 loss per bill. When he left government, they were making £55 profit per bill. He didn't stand up to the vested interests, he stuffed their pockets with cash. Right, that's, we've, we've, dealt with, we've dealt with that. Um, oh, by the way, sorry. While, while, we're on, while, we're on his, while we're on his energy record, while we're on his energy record, he put in place, in his low-carbon transition plan, a policy that would have added £179 to every single person's bill the country. So perhaps when he gets up, he can apologise for that. Mr Speaker, perhaps members on both sides could calm down. Let's hear now from the Leader of the Opposition, Mr Ed Miliband. Somebody help him. Mr Speaker, even he is taking his habit of not answering questions to a new level. I asked him a question. I asked him a question. If he wants to swap places, I'm very happy to do that. About the, I asked him a question about the railways. I have to say, the Chancellor shouts from a sedentary position. It's not the ticket that needs upgrading, it's the Chancellor of the Exchequer in my opinion. Look, look this, this miss, the mishandling of this process, the mishandling of this process has cost taxpayers up to £100 million. So which of his former transport ministers who oversaw the bidding is responsible for this multi-million pound fiasco? There is a proper independent investigation into what happened with the West Coast Main Line. The Secretary of State for Transport has made a full statement to this House and has explained what will be done so that 
commuters continue to receive a good service and we get to the bottom of what went wrong. But what is interesting and what the country will notice is he wants to talk about the Chancellor because he can't talk about the economy because he's got no plans to, bar to increase the private sector. He can't talk about the deficit because he's got no plans to cut it. He can't talk about welfare because he opposes our plans to cap it. He can't talk about all the issues that matter to this country and that's why he stands up and just tells a whole lot of rubbish jokes. take it from that answer, but nobody is taking responsibility for what happened on the railways. Ministers didn't know the detail, they didn't do the work, and they got caught out. But Mr Speaker, who can blame them? They're just playing follow my leader, after all. And this is what he said before he became Prime Minister, and I quote, we must provide the modern conservative alternative. Clear, competent, <laughs> Inspiring. <laughs> Mr Speaker, where did it all go wrong? I tell you, I tell you what has happened under this government in the last week. Inflation down. Yeah. Unemployment down. Crime down. Waiting list down. Borrowing down. That's what's happening, but he can't talk about the real issues because he's not up to the job. It's good to, it's good to see the crimson tide back, Mr Speaker. This is the reality. He is living in a parallel universe. He is living in a parallel universe. It's been another disastrous week for his government. Last week, he defended the chief whip. Now he's gone. He made up an energy policy. That's gone too. He's lost millions of pounds on the railways. Isn't the truth. There's nobody else left to blame for the shambles of his government. It goes right to the top. It's only a bad week if you think it's bad that unemployment's coming down. We think it's good. It's only a bad week if you regret inflation's coming down. We think it's a good thing for our country. It's only a bad week if you don't think it's a good thing that a million more people are in work. That's what's happening in our country. Every bit of good news sends that team into a complete decline. But I can tell him the good news will keep coming. Speaker, would my right honourable friend join me in welcoming the good news that the 13% fall in recorded crime has been in the West Midlands over the past 12 months and congratulate West Midlands Police and Dudley Local Policing Unit on their performance which has seen robbery down 31% and house burglaries down 29% in my area. Doesn't this fall in crime show that police reform is working? I think my honourable friend makes an important point. We've seen not just recorded crime fall by 6%, but also the crime survey show crime falling by 6%. And this is at a time we're making difficult decisions about police funding, but that combination of police reform, the changes we're making, and tougher approach to criminal justice is seeing crime falling and public satisfaction with the police going up. Thomas. Last year, uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister told the House at the dispatch box that there was no reason why frontline police officer numbers needed to go down. Yet my constituents in Harrow are telling me that they're seeing fewer police on our streets. Isn't the real truth, Prime Minister, that there are 6,800 fewer police officers since he came to power? Yeah, yeah. What is actually happening is the number of neighbourhood police officers has actually gone up by 2,360 since 2010. Mr Peter Bone! 
Mr. Speaker, last week planning permission was granted for a large retail leisure park on Derrick Land at Skew Bridge between my constituency and the Corby constituency. It will create 2,000 new jobs, have a large Marks and Spencers and a stunning nature reserve. Labour are opposed to that development. Minister, tell the House who the people of Corby should support. Christine Emmett and the Conservatives campaigning for 2,000 new jobs or Labour's Corby Luddites. My honourable friend makes an excellent point about how it is this party and this government that is getting behind economic development. And as I just said, every piece of good news is a disaster for the party opposite. They wake up every morning wanting more unemployment, but unemployment's coming down. They wake up wanting inflation to rise, but inflation's coming down. And as we can see in Corby, it's the Conservatives getting behind growth and jobs and the future. During the last election, the Prime Minister made many uh, pledges to the electorate. Uh, one of those pledges was to help rebalance the Northern Ireland economy. Given that our economy lags behind the UK average, and indeed lags behind the position in Scotland in terms of key economic indicators, when can we expect an announcement by the Prime Minister on the steps that he's going to take to help rebalance our economy? I do want to see the Northern Irish economy, economy rebalance. It badly needs to because the size of the state sector is so big and accounts for so much of Northern Ireland GDP. We are continuing to pursue the policy of looking at a lower corporation tax rate for Northern Ireland because of the land border with the Republic. I don't believe it's the only thing we should look at. We also need to see how we can boost manufacturing, small businesses, increase the rate of business start-up and also do all the things we can to encourage inward investment into Northern Ireland which I've been doing, including on the, the trips I've been making into other parts of the globe. Mr Crispin Blunt. Uh, Mr Speaker, on Monday I was delighted when the Prime Minister put his personal rocket boosters under payment by results for rehabilitation. Um, will he, as First Lord of the Treasury, ensure that the Treasury stand four square behind the Ministry of Justice as they design and deliver these first generation of these payment by results programmes which are radical, globally new and underwrite the unquantifiable cash consequences of success for the next spending review period? I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. We should be bringing payment by results to all of the criminal justice system. Currently we spend over a billion pounds on probation and I want to see payment by results being the norm rather than the exception. I think if you look, to be fair to the Treasury, when they designed payment by results in the welfare system, they actually allowed the Department of Work and Pensions to spend the future receipts of lower benefit claims and I'm sure they'll be equally inventive and creative when it comes to making sure that we get better value for money and better results in our criminal justice system. Gavin Shuka. I'm grateful, Mr Speaker. Last week from the dispatch box, the Prime Minister said that services at Kettering Hospital were safe. This week we've learnt that the official review's so-called best option is to get rid of many vital services in that hospital and to reduce the number of beds by 80%. Isn't the truth that you can't trust the Tories on the NHS? What is true is you can always guarantee that Labour members of Parliament will get up in Parliament and scaremonger about our NHS. What I said last night, last week, is absolutely right. Jackie Doyle Price. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With 170,000.
profits and a million new jobs created, shouldn't it be perfectly clear that this government's plan is working? I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point. The figures showed last week that there are more people in work than at any time in our history. There are more women in work than at any time in our history. And since the election, the number of full-time jobs has increased faster than the number of part-time jobs. There's absolutely no complacency on these benches, but we've got to do everything we can to continue the progress, getting people into work, getting the long-term unemployed into work, and, and cracking down on youth unemployment as well. The Abrahams. You're getting bad advice on this. Could the Prime Minister explain the relationship between virgin care donations to the Tory party, the number of virgin care shareholders on clinical commissioning group boards, and the number of NHS contracts that have been awarded to a virgin care? All, all donations to political parties are properly disclosed and properly announced. But the difference, I have to say, between the donations that the Conservative Party gets from individuals and businesses and the trade union donations to the Labour Party is that they effectively buy votes at your conference, policies in your manifesto, and they vote for your leader as well. They pay the money, they get the votes. That's the scandal in funding parties. Under the previous Labour government, the National Health Service lost hundreds of millions of pounds because foreign patients and the cost of treating them wasn't properly recovered. Can I get an assurance from my right honourable friend that both the Department of Health and the Home Office will now work together to resolve this issue? I can certainly give my honourable friend that assurance. This area has become much too complicated about who should pay, how much and when. So I've asked that ministers get together to simplify it. Uh, my right honourable friend, the Minister for Immigration, is going to be leading this process and I hope we can come up with a simplified system in which the public will have real trust. Margaret Hodge. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Jimmy Carr avoided £3.3 million of tax last year and the Prime Minister said that was morally wrong. Apple, Google, Facebook, eBay and Starbucks have between them avoided nearly £900 million of tax. Will the Prime Minister now take this opportunity to condemn their behaviour as morally wrong? I think the Honourable Lady makes, makes an important point, because, and this is an international problem that all countries are struggling with about how to make sure that companies pay tax in an appropriate way. I'm not happy with the current situation. I think the HMRC needs to look at it very carefully, and we do need to make sure we're encouraging these businesses to invest in our country as they are, but they should be paying fair taxes as well. Sir Peter Tapsell. my right honourable friend why, as he told me on Monday, he thinks that the single currency needs a banking union. Because the crisis in the euro is not being caused by the absence of a banking union, but by the absence of a single fiscal policy. Yet, if uh, the fiscal union were introduced, which would certainly be dominated by Germany, that would lead to the death of democracy throughout most of Europe. So is the least painful solution the abolition of the euro and the return to national currency? 
What, what, what I would say to my um, right honourable friend is that I believe that the insecurity in the Eurozone is in co caused in part by both those issues that he raises, the lack of a, a fiscal union but also the lack of a banking union. One of the problems in the Eurozone at the moment is the different level of interest rates in Spain, in Italy, in Portugal and part of that is because of concerns about the link between weak banks and um, sovereign governments and it's only when you have a banking union that you have greater security about those weak banks. Now, we have a single currency in the United Kingdom, and we also have a banking union in the United Kingdom. We wouldn't allow, we wouldn't treat banks differently because they're in Scotland, Wales, or in Northern Ireland than to England. And I believe that a working single currency will need a working banking union, and, and I think that is actually logically uh, consistent and sensible. Last week we had a government chief whip who was educated at rugby public school, and this week we've got one was educated at Eton. I wonder if the Prime Minister could give us an update on his campaign to spread privilege. I would argue that actually people across this House would recognise that my right honourable friend, the man of Hampshire Northwest, his record stands for itself. Must calm down. Let, let's hear from Mr. Rob Wilson. After the appearance of the Director General before the Select Committee yesterday, I hope the whole House would agree it's essential that the two independent inquiries get to the truth. Full details of those inquiries are still sketchy, despite two letters that I've sent to the BBC asking for full disclosure. Will the Prime Minister? join me in calling for full details to be published today so that both inquiries can have the full confidence of the public and Jimmy Savile's victims can hear the truth. Well, well, first of all, can I commend my honourable friend for the very good and valuable and dedicated work he's done on this issue of making sure that all of these institutions get to the truth. To be fair to the BBC, the two inquiries they've set up do, I believe, um, uh, qualify as independent inquiries. The inquiry into the Newsnight programme is being carried out by the head of Sky News, former head of Sky News, Nick Pollard, and the second and more important, in many ways, review into the culture and practices in the BBC going back many years is being led by a former appeal court judge, Dame Janet Smith. I think, as he says, it's very important that the BBC make clear these inquiries can go where the evidence leads, they'll have access to all the paperwork, and they'll be able to be truly independent and get to the truth on behalf of all the victims of Jimmy Savile. Speaker, caught out the Prime Minister refused to answer a question last week, so will he now tell us why he won't publish the emails, texts, other correspondence between himself, Rebecca Brooks, News International, Andy Coulson, so we can judge for ourselves. What's he frightened of? Scandal? Embarrassment? Or is there something more damning that he's frightened of? I hate to disappoint the honourable gentleman. It was this government that set up the Leveson inquiry and has cooperated with the Leveson inquiry and given them all the information that they've asked for. Mr. David Mowat. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In March, my constituent Emma Hickman was informed that her fiance, her fiance, Private Daniel Wade of the First Battalion, of the Yorkshire Regiment, had died in Afghanistan. Three months later, she gave birth to Daniel's baby, Lexi May. Mr. Speaker. The army will not accept paternity without evidence, nor will they release the DNA 
without a court order. As a consequence, Lexi May receives nothing. Would the Prime Minister help to expedite this case? And would he also require that the army routinely hold DNA, as in other countries such as the US? Well, on the, the latter part of his question, I'll certainly look at that. Look, I was um, as shocked as he was when I found out about this case. I will do everything uh, I can to try and, as he says, expedite uh, a conclusion to it. I mean, the sincere condolences of, I'm sure, everyone in this House uh, go to Private Wade's families, uh, family. I think this is an absolutely dreadful situation. It can't be allowed to continue. The Ministry of Defence are aware of it. It does raise some complicated legal issues, but the reaction from colleagues around the House when my honourable friend said what he said shows that we have to move quickly and get this sorted. Committee. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister recall telling the House last year that the UK would lead the world in eradicating modern-day slavery? Could he explain to us why his whips organised last Friday to talk out my bill yeah. to eradicate the dark from the supply chain of British companies? And will he meet myself and the people who support this bill so we can move this campaign forward? This government has an excellent record in combating modern-day slavery, not least because we continue to commit through our international aid programme to tackle those countries where it still so regrettably exists. I'll look very carefully at the bill that he mentions and perhaps write to him about the issue. Right. Speaker, a number of major employers in my constituency are calling for greater certainty for investors in one of the fastest-growing sectors of the economy, low-carbon energy. Will he respond to their calls specifically for a 2030 carbon intensity target for the power sector? I'm looking very carefully at these issues, but I have to say we've already taken, I think, the most important step, which is to set the renewable obligation certificates, the rocks, out into the future so investors know that they can invest, for instance, in offshore wind, knowing what the return is going to be. And there'll be more detail, of course, when we produce the energy bill uh, later in this year. Derek Twig. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I refer the Prime Minister to Hansard, the 23rd of May, 2012, column 1127, when the Honourable Member for Belfast North asked him the following, would he give an undertaking that he will not succumb to the diktat from the European Court of Human Rights in relation to prisoners voting? And his answer was, the short answer to that is yes. Can the Prime confirm that is still his position, which I hope it is, and can he tell us how he's going to get round breaking European law? No, I can absolutely give the Honourable Gentleman that assurance. The House of Commons has voted against prisoners having the vote. I don't want prisoners to have the vote, and they shouldn't get the vote. I'm very clear um, about that. Uh, if it helps by having another vote in Parliament on another resolution to make absolutely clear, to help put the legal position beyond doubt, I'm very happy to do that. But no one should be in any doubt. Prisoners are not getting the vote under this government. Speaker, is the Prime Minister aware that last year there was a Borough Council-run referendum in my constituency about locating an energy to waste incinerator on the edge of King's Lynn? Is he also aware that on a 61% turnout, 65,516 of mine and my honourable friend, a member of South West Norfolk's constituents, voted no? This amounted to a staggering 92.7% voting no. Does he agree with me that it is absolutely essential for local democracy and for localism that my constituents and these people are listened to? I think it's very important that the planning system does listen to local people and proper processes are followed, and I'm sure that he'll work very hard in this case to make sure that happens. Tom Watson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The evidence file used to convict paedophile Peter Wrighton if it still exists, contains clear, clear intelligence of a widespread paedophile ring. 
One of its members boasts of his links to a senior aide of a former Prime Minister who says he could smuggle indecent images of children from abroad. The leads were not followed up, but if the files still exist, I want to ensure that the Metropolitan Police secure the evidence, re-examine it and investigate clear intelligence suggesting a powerful paedophile network linked to Parliament and Number 10. Well, the Honourable Gentleman raises a, a very uh, difficult and complex case, and I'm not entirely sure which former Prime Minister he's referring to, but I, what I would like to do is look very carefully in Hansard as to the allegations that he's made, the case that he's <laughs> raised, and look very carefully and see what the Government can do to help give him uh, the assurances that he seeks. Mr Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah. In principle, does my right honourable friend think that statutory regulation can ever be compatible with a free press? Uh, well, my honourable friend is, is tempting me into commenting on what Lord Leveson might or might not uh, recommend in his report. I do think it's important, having set up the, set up the inquiry on an all-party basis, we should allow him uh, to produce his report. What I would say is I think one can obsess too much about how exactly uh, these things are done. What matters most of all is are we going to have a regulatory system in which the public will have confidence that if there are mistakes made, there are proper corrections? If uh, uh, newspapers do the wrong thing, they can get fined. That this is proper investigation when things go wrong. That seems to me the most important issue uh, for all of us to address. Are we going to put in place a system in which we can have confidence that the public will support, but also it will be seen that we have a free, independent and very vigorous press? Mr Dave Watts. Is the Prime Minister aware that young people's unemployment in my constituency has gone up by a thousand percent? What are you going to do about this scandal? But what we are doing is putting in place through the work programme of the youth contract the biggest ever scheme to help people get back into work. And we have seen success in recent weeks and months where we see more people in work than at any time in our history. And the recent figures saw a decline in the claimant count, a decline in unemployment and a decline in youth unemployment. There's far more to do, but we are at least heading in the right direction. Mike Crockart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would the Prime Minister promise today that unlike other leaders in uh, other parliaments in the UK, he will never spend £100,000 fighting the release of legal advice that he doesn't hold and never asked for. <laughs> no, well, um, he asks a baffling question about a truly baffling situation, which is that uh, we were told, I believe, by the First Minister in Scotland that he had legal advice about Scotland's place in the European Union in the event of independence. It turns out now they didn't have any legal advice at all. And I think what this shows is when you shine the spotlight on the case for separation that the SNP put, it completely falls apart. The Prime Minister has rightly expressed concern about child abuse in our institutions. Last year, the Government reduced child protection measures in schools, and changes to Ofsted means that some schools will never be inspected on their child protection procedures. Will the Prime Minister now meet me and cross-party MPs from the All-Party Child Protection Group to protect our children now and in the future? Yeah. 
I'm very happy to arrange a meeting between her and the, the, the new minister, who has huge experience in this area, who I know will be delighted to discuss it with her. What we have tried to do is take a set of rules and regulations that actually involved 9, 10 million more parents involved in this, in, in this sort of thing and try to simplify it and concentrate on where it needed to be focused. But I'm very happy to arrange that meeting. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.